you are Locked On Spurs, your daily San Antonio Spurs podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Spurs is a daily podcast covering the San Antonio Spurs. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Audioboom, and many more. Locked On Spurs will be there waiting for all Spurs fans, whether it be on your daily commute, lunch hour, or whenever you have time, Locked On Spurs will bring you the latest on the silver and black. Now, let's talk some Spurs. Hey, welcome back to another exciting episode right here on Locked On Spurs, and I am your host, Jeff Garcia, and it wouldn't be a Locked On Spurs show without having Locked On Warriors Danny LaRue to join us today because it is game time. Today, the Spurs and the Warriors tip off their regular season as the Spurs will visit the Golden State Warriors in Oakland as a clash of two Western Conference Titans is about to begin. And Danny, the NBA schedule makers really, really know how to stick it to fans, don't they? (laughs) With this game to start off the NBA season. Well, I mean, they want to have a, a loaded opening night, and which is also funny because they put Cleveland, New York, which I don't think is going to be very good. So no. they put a nice capper on it. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it's interesting because these teams are substantially different in, in some important ways considering last year. But I don't know. For me, it's weird because I would expect both of them to gel and improve over time. So there's a little bit of me that would have been more excited to, to have them wait like a month. But yeah. that's just the way I am. Yeah, and then again, the schedule makers do this. They put the Spurs Warriors as the, um, I guess, the icing on the cake for opening night. And then they don't; these two teams don't play each other until late in the, the season. So hopefully they'll have some playoff implications then and make the uh, game a lot more interesting. But ahead of uh, tonight is the Spurs Warriors. Again, it's just one game, not really much that Danny and I can pick and choose from. It's like I said, just one game. The sample size is very tiny. But there's a lot of things to be looking forward to from the Warriors side and the Spurs side. I'm I'm taking it right off the bat. Danny is seeing this new, kind of new look Warriors team come together for the first time in a game that matters. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot there that will be really interesting. And for me, the most compelling part of this game, especially with Danny Green being out to a degree, is how Coach Pop handles when the Warriors go small. Because they have a different group of personnel now. They have different strengths and weaknesses. And who he chooses to have out there will be, it's not going to be definitive. It's not like we're going to learn, oh, this is the Spurs master plan. But it'll be a nice little piece of information. Oh, exactly. You know, going into this game, I was looking forward to at least seeing the uh, Spurs uh, fully loaded, just seeing if they can with their new look additions of Pau Gasol. You have the second year player for the Spurs, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, seeing how he gets more in in tune with the offense and the defense. And of course, you know, the rookie DeJounte Murray and so on and so forth. But now with Green out, and let's face it, perhaps it could be arguable that Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green are perhaps one of the best one-two punches defensively on the perimeter. That's not going to be there tonight in Oakland. 
Yeah, I, I think it's going to be strange to see a Spurs team without Danny Green, especially because part of what makes San Antonio such a fascinating matchup for Golden State is that they're one of the only teams that has guys that they can put on Curry and Durant. And without that, it's going to be meaningfully different. But you could also get different, you know, different knowledge, different information from that because who do they, who does Pop put out there? Who, how do they change the assignments and all that sort of thing? And also, I mean, I think it's going to put a little bit more pressure on Pau Gasol on defense, and that's something San Antonio fans should be looking to find out early in the season. Yeah, Pau Gasol and defense usually don't go together in the same sentence, but if there's any team in the NBA that can get out that defensive mindset from Gasol would be Popovich and the Spurs. The preseason is over, Danny. What did you learn about this Warriors team before tip-off of the regular season? They're coming together faster than I expected, but this, they're still not nearly what, what offensively what they will be down the road. I guess that's true defensively too, but there were stretches like in the game against Portland, which was their last preseason game, where they just blew the doors off them in the second and third quarter. And as everybody knows, Portland's a very good team, though not the best defensive team. And so they had those kind of like high ceiling moments. They also nailed the Clippers early in that game. But the other big takeaway, which was something I think you and I talked about when we did the really early crossover, is that they had some players on the bench that looked good. You know, we didn't see it against true like NBA competition in that sense, but they had some guys who looked like they can play. And both of these teams are testaments to the importance of depth, the importance of depth and that will be a lingering storyline for the Warriors this season. Yeah, you know, heading into the regular season, for me, looking at the Spurs in the preseason, was this. Pop was still going to be Pop. He said he sat out some key players during the regular season. He was evaluating the younger talent, who was going to make that 15th roster spot. But at the end of the day, it ended up being uh, Bryn Forbes and Nicholas Lepervitola were the ones that were selected. So, okay, great. We knew exactly now what the Spurs are, what roster the Spurs are going to go to war with, but there was still a little shakiness that I saw in the preseason from San Antonio. I saw Danny Green still struggle with his shot before he got the injury. I saw Tony Parker really, really looking like he's lost a step or two now. He lost a lot of it. Um, is just he looks a little heavier too. Like, he's not as slim. I don't know if that's just age. Trust me, I'm an older guy. It's hard to lose weight and you get older, but um, he looked a little slower. So there were some things that I was watching, but I was excited about seeing Pau Gasol also progress at a good clip. I want to say at a rapid clip, but as a good steady clip getting adjusted to the Spurs system. And Kawhi Leonard, he looks just like in preseason alone, is going to really be challenging for MVP uh, consideration this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, Kawhi's a great player. Uh, somebody I wanted to ask you about with Spurs, not only because I'm a UCLA alum, but just because he's going to figure into the season more now with Danny Green starting the year out, is Kyle Anderson. How has he looked to you, and kind of where do you see him fitting into this rotation? When the, Let's say when more when they're at full strength. Well, Popovich has already been on record after practice saying that Kyle, it's now Kyle's time to shine now. The One of the biggest losses in the offseason was Boris Diaw. Say what you will about Tim Duncan, which was huge. Just that, yes, that's big. But right below that would be Boris Diaw. He, Boris Diaw was the player that could do it all. 
defense, shoot the three, hit the shot in the paint, pass out of the paint, finish at the rim, etc. That's gone. Kyle Anderson is almost in that same vein. He has that kind of a weird size. Is he a two? Is he a three? Is he a four? He's long. He's athletic. But in heading into the preseason, he looked like he took the next step in the summer league. So I was on board. I'm like, yeah, it looks like Kyle Lannis is going to have a good breakout season. Then the preseason hits, and he still looks like he's still that freshman, sophomore in the league. I don't know if that's simply because Pop is kind of telling him, no, you know, like just take it easy, come out, you know, play a little minutes and sit out. But he's he still, to me, looks like the same Kyle Anderson that the Spurs drafted. Who knows, maybe the additional minutes that he's definitely going to get now that the Spurs have lost Boris DL and Danny Green for a little bit. We'll see a different side of him. But I do like the kid. I think he has all the tools. He's shown that he's a little bit more aggressive going to the rim. I saw that in the play in the uh, preseason. I'm sorry. His shot is still a little iffy. He can make them and it looks good, but then he doesn't. But I'll tell you this much, though. His passing has improved during the preseason. He nailed a couple of spurs with touchdown passes for easy buckets, end-to-end passes. He had one against the, uh, I think it was the Heat. He got the rebound under the defensive basket and just saw Pau Gasol streaking and just lobbed it straight full court right into Pau Gasol's hands for an easy deuce. So I like what I see out of him. But for me personally, the jury is still out. I want to see exactly what he looks like now that he is going to get more minutes on the court. And he's a surprisingly important part of their present and their future just because a lot of the guys on the Spurs as great as this team is and as great as this team was you know they have guys that are going to start aging out and so they need players to step into those roles I mean you you mentioned Bryn Forbes and La Provitola maybe you know like Mm -hmm. those guys are going to take a little bit you you think it might you know it's always the fringe guys on the roster you don't expect them to become rotation guys but that is a new challenge for San Antonio. You know, they they've stayed so stable that it has allowed them to like when a guy like Patty Mills kind of hits their radar screen, they can bring him along slowly. But now they have some spots for the first time in probably about five years. Yeah, you know, and I've talked to a couple of other um, co-workers of ours on the Locked On Podcast Network, and they've said that, and I kind of are starting to agree with it that. This Spurs season can go either one way or another. It can be really good or really bad. And because think of it like this. They brought in three new bigs uh, into the system. Pau Gasol, Dwayne Dedman, and David Lee. Okay. LaMarcus Aldridge is playing the second season. And I think the Spurs' strength is size. And, you know, before I start going to this, before I forget, I want to ask you a quick question. I had it written down in my notes, but I almost, almost forgot. With the NBA going almost a, a full, you know, up and down scoring three point happy. What do you think about the Spurs approach? Almost kind of bucking that and going big in this day and age of the NBA. You have to be skilled to make it happen. And they have skill. Pau Gasol is an incredibly talented offensive guy. And so they can do it in that way. What concerns me more is the defensive end, because one of the takeaways that the Spurs had a little bit of trouble with in the OKC series and just moving broadly moving forward is that if you have big men who can't defend in space in today's NBA, usually you can get those guys in a high pick and roll and exploit it somehow. And so they are going to have to scheme defensively 
at a, at a really high level and execute because with Tim Duncan, you don't necessarily have to scheme it as well because you have Tim Duncan there. But that is going to be something very different. And that's also part of the reason why I'm hopeful that Dwayne Dedman could figure into a larger role because he is a little bit more of a versatile defensive player. He's not, you know, the most admirable guy in the world, but he's a lot better than Powell. And so if they can use him a little bit differently and test out some different different concepts just to see how it works. Right. For the On the Warriors' side, though, Danny, heading into the season, is the fact that Durant being a Warrior and, of course, the criticism he's still receiving until today, ask Charles Barkley, you know about him, is that going to be a distraction for this team? No. It, it's going to be background noise. I think it'll be a little bit different just because there are demands, not only in terms of the media, I think that's a small thing, but just in terms of other stuff because there's so much attention on this team, so promotional things and everything else. Like there's, it, I feel like it's going to be closer to like a playoff time constraints on those kind of guys just because of the everything that's surrounding this team. But the, they don't seem to care too much about the talk. If anything, it motivates them. The Warriors, historically, with this group, have done a very surprising job of turning any criticism into something to galvanize them, mm-hmm. which is hilarious because they're just they they do have rabbit ears about that sort of thing. And rabbit ears can be generally it's a bad thing because you know you don't you rather have them you know you want to use the old media tropes, but you'd rather have them focusing on their work. But if you can turn that into something good, if you can turn that into fuel with consistency, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And and really, that's what it's going to be. But the the bigger takeaway in terms of that is just going to be that they're incredibly talented. And really, that talk is talk unless it turns negative, you know. And then in that case, maybe you do that. Like a great example of that is uh, you probably remember a couple of years ago when there was a, a Pacers team that was really good. It was, the I think, the year after they were the one seed. Mm-hmm. And then as they kind of they started falling off the pace they were on, then there started to be these negative stories and they kind of spiraled a little bit. Like maybe in that kind of case it can matter, but I don't expect that to happen to the Warriors in terms of the the, the downfall in play, so then it won't really spiral. Yeah, and you know, continuing on with uh, Danny right here on Locked on Spurs, talking about Spurs and Warriors as tip-off of the, uh, the two teams that we're talking about uh, starts for the um, later on tonight. Da- Draymond Green, I got to ask about this guy. I, you, you probably know about this. There was um, an article recently out there that he and Clay got into some arguments and that he tends to be a bit of a distraction. We all know about his kicking as he drives to the lane. Is is Draymond Green that much of a headache for this team? Or is it kind of like, is he like the modern day Dennis Rodman? <laughs> you know, what is, you know, is Draymond Green going to be a player that, this team needs to rein in at a few times because let's just say if he keeps on doing this kicking motion thing, he's going to see suspensions. He's going to see games where he's going to be maybe fined and maybe this can become a larger problem for the Warriors. What you just hit on is the only thing that gives me pause. You know, all the other stuff, you know, the fire in the locker room and yeah. I'm sure people read Ethan Sherwood Strauss's piece and, you know, there are things like that, you know, people who cha- who are kind of a, a, for- a force, force and and I, none of that really concerns me because it is who he is and he uses that fire in an overall positive way on the court. However, the big exception to that is if that leads to whether it's, you know, 
him doing the same things he's done because he's done that kicking thing since he was a rookie. It's just something mm-hmm. he does. Yeah. And so it's like, but now they're looking for it. And so at a certain point, it doesn't matter what precedent is if they're if the refs are going to call what they're going to call. And so you have to adjust. But so if that leads to him missing games, you have a different calculus. And so I wrote a piece for the Athletic when it happened about how. I understood, you know, what led to what everything that led to his suspension for game five. Mm-hmm. And at the same point, it was still irresponsible because even if you want to say he had the moral high ground because LeBron stood over him, what he has to know is that that game is over. And if all he does is just be the bigger man for about five seconds, right? then the Warriors probably win the title. Mm-hmm. And I understand why, especially when it's when you perceive that as a severe disrespect, that that doesn't happen. I'm not one of those people who thinks that players should be robots and that they should do that. I think the humanity, especially with Draymond, is an important part of it and part of what makes him great. But there are certain points where you just kind of have to tone it down a little bit. And so if he can't do that, especially now that refs are going to look at him a little differently, it could be a problem. Yeah, and least... he, he does a lot of stuff. Like, he stares at refs when he doesn't get a call sometimes he barks at them a little bit and it's a part of draymond like i don't see it as particularly bad thing but if the same conduct starts becoming more frequent technicals which it could be then it starts to be a problem yeah because you look at draymond green i've been on the record saying that i almost consider him the glue of the warriors i think he's that guy you know that keeps some uh, keeps the team together as far as motivating them keeping them at 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 a good intensity level bringing it every day on the court for the Warriors. But then you see issues about the kicking. You know, you mentioned the the stare downs of the refs. Even off the court, I, I mean, I get it. It was the offseason. You know, that incident he had in Lansing, Michigan. Of course, you know, we all know about what happened to him on social media and his private parts. You know, does, does he worry you sometimes? I mean, do you think he might, as much as he helps, and is, he can also destroy I, I don't think it's equal parts, but okay. there is always a little bit of potential. You know, like there, there, it, even if it's like a 10% chance that something bad happens, I mean, a 10% chance a couple of times, you know, that can, that can lead to a bad result. And yeah. so I think that it, it's something that is, it, again, it, it, this kind it, of ties it, into what we were talking about before, where right. it's like it could derail a worse team. Uh-huh. And so if things get bad at a certain point, you can do that. But Draymond is essential for the Warriors. Offensively, he his ability to basically attack an odd man advantage and be able to the line I often use is two dribbles and a good decision. Like there right. aren't that many guys who play power forward and center who can do that. Two mm-hmm. dribbles and a good decision. He does it many, many times every single game. And then defensively, he is versatile. He is incredibly good. He doesn't you don't have to make the trade offs with him. So when he plays center, he's protecting the rim but can still switch out on the guys. So that kind of value Sometimes if it's in an imperfect package, you have to take it. But at the same time, he has to know that some of that there's kind of a line that I draw. I usually talk about it in basketball terms, but at the same point, it's true off the of forced versus unforced errors. And like, you know, everybody makes mistakes and nobody's going to argue that these guys need to be perfect in terms of anything, their social media or anything like that. But if you can if you can help yourself, it's probably a good idea to do that, especially because that buys you a little bit more leeway when we when and anybody inevitably slips up. Yeah, you know the the Warriors right now they are you know I think in everybody's mindset the cream of the crop. 
of the NBA. But then comes the Spurs and, you know, obviously the Cavs and the Clippers. Do you see the Spurs as the Warriors' number one threat, or is it a different team? Do you mean in – I might have missed – do you mean in the West or overall? Uh, in the West and overall. In the West – Yes, for right now, because mm-hmm. they're well coached. Kawhi is a monster. You know, Kawhi can do that. But given the uncertainty, you know, that uncertainty makes it different. Because I think people, your listeners will know this, but like, I mean, the Spurs won 67 games last year. They were yep. incredible in the regular season. And Oklahoma City was a nightmare matchup for them for a million reasons. And the Thunder don't exist anymore in that form. Yeah. So, you know, it's basically the Warriors. Overall, it's still Cleveland. And the reason why is because. Cleveland has LeBron, who, when he turns it on, is the best player in the world. And because their complementary pieces have the ability to take over a game. Like Kyrie Irving, particularly in Game 5 of the NBA Finals, which yes, Draymond was suspended for, was spectacular. And when one thing you know, and, and you know this as somebody who's covered the Spurs for a long time, is that there are certain players in the league that when they're on, it doesn't really matter exactly. how you scheme for them. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter what your personnel is. And LeBron, of course, is that is that guy. But Kyrie is too. And Kyrie doesn't have the, you know, his floor is lower than most of those high-end guys. But that doesn't really matter too much because when you're dealing in contenders for the title, you're always dealing in ceilings. That's just the way it works. So Cleveland has a lot more of those kind of guys than the Spurs do right now. And everybody else is just un- a little bit unsure. Like, the, I think the Clippers don't match up well against the Warriors. The Jazz are too young. And then the other team that would be underrated, and I think I'd have them third, is the Celtics. Mm -hmm. Because the Celtics, like the Spurs, have a lot of really good perimeter defenders. But the difference between those two teams is that San Antonio has gotten enough offense to justify with their defense. And the Celtics haven't gotten there yet. Horford could be there. You know, maybe we're talking at the All-Star break. And I'm like, oh, man, look at the Celtics. Like, they could be that team. But right now, we can't say that with any certainty. That's right. Uh, you know, the um, the Spurs and Warriors in the West, at least, seem to be the leaders of the pack. And then, I don't know, is it just me, Danny, or there seems to be the West, that parity is almost gone now, where it's almost top-heavy, very similar to the East. You look at the Spurs, you look at Warriors. Okay, fine, toss in the Clippers. But then it's kind of a big drop-off after that. The Blazers, are they ready to make that next step? You mentioned the Jazz. And there's there's the, the Timberwolves, you know, they're a very young team. Rockets, they always seem to be up in the air. Like, I guess, you know, if James Harden, you know, can do this and this, they lost Dwight Howard. Who knows if that helps or hurts? But it seems to be in the West, it's just Spurs, Warriors, and everybody else. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have the Clippers there, and they'll yeah. be a, a very good regular season team. I, I think they're weaker in the playoffs just because they're – rotation doesn't really condense in a way that's that's super helpful for them but they're they're incredibly talented i don't want to sell them short they've also been extremely unlucky in terms of injuries but what is different this year i agree with you with the premise that it's kind of those teams and then a little bit of a drop though i like utah a lot but what's exciting is they're teams that could get a lot better so Mm -hmm. you know like i I think minnesota it's going to take them a year or two but Mm -hmm. they have a lot of potential utah it's probably the same boat and so We'll see how those teams develop. And then there's also a group, Houston probably leads this pack, of teams that aren't really 
serious contenders to win the conference, mm-hmm. but will be entertaining and will be good during the season. And so that's what makes the West different than the East. It's like in the East, you have the top three teams, and then nobody really knows about anybody else. You know, there are teams out, outside of them that are maybe good, but we're not confident in it. In the West, at least there are some that we like. It's just that we don't know whether they're going to be great or they're going to be pretty good or like that kind of that kind of a decision. And so what's exciting is last year, the middle and the bottom of the West playoff picture just got decimated by injuries. Right. And, you know, that could happen again. We never, It's one of those things you can't predict. But this year, it feels like there are more teams with upside than downside. And so you always get injuries. And so some of those teams will, will t- turn that frown, will turn that smile upside down more accurately. Yeah. Like that's going to happen. But there are more teams to fill that void. Whereas last year, it was really just Portland that did that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, again, I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to come down to Spurs and Warriors. Hopefully, unlike last season when the Spurs got buzzsawed by the Thunder and these two teams can clash for the West title. But as far as game one of the regular season for both teams is concerned tonight, what are you looking forward to? What do you want to see on the court from your Warriors? Well, I'm excited to see how they defend the Spurs because the Spurs are such a different team. We talked about it a little bit with how big they play. Like they're just a, they they run differently. And especially since we're not going to see San Antonio in their normal form defensively without Danny Green. So I'm going to focus more on how the Spurs offense works because that was a lingering storyline last year before they ended up not facing each other in the playoffs was can the Spurs score on the Warriors? And so I'll focus on that end to see how it, see how those dynamics work because it's only fair to think that the the other side of the coin won't be reflective because Danny Green is so central to what you guys do. Yeah, for me as um, the uh, Spurs advocate here, I'm looking at seeing how much this Spurs teams can at least early on in the season can handle their new parts together in a. I mean, yeah, it's a regular season, game one. Yes, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But this is kind of a big game. And to see this, this is a new-look Spurs. This is a brand, it practically is. It almost is. Yes, you still have Ginobili and Parker there. But it's been turned over now. Duncan is gone. Diaz's gone. Boban's gone. Bonner's gone. That pains me so much, Danny. Uh, so who is going to be the next guys, the next wave of players to step in and fulfill their roles. Is it going to be a dead man? I think he's going to be crucial for the Spurs uh, throughout the season as he gets accustomed to the system. Is Can he be that X factor as far as a player in the paint to defend? Because I'm, I don't expect him to drop 20 points or, or even 15 points. If he gives me 8 to 10, I'd be happy. But I just want to see what he does on the defensive end where the Spurs really need that. And, of course, Gasol. What what is is he can still bring that double double effort that he did in Chicago and did in the Lakers? So there's a lot of moving parts right now. One concern that I've been stressing throughout the entire off season is that I'm worried about the Spurs point guard position. Right now, that's a top heavy situation. It's Parker Mills. That's it. That's it. If one of those guys gets hurt or goes down or suspended for doing some sort of knucklehead thing, whatever. Then that's it, because then you have a 20-year-old rookie, DeJounte Murray, an unproven NBA-level player, Nicholas Laparvitola, and that's it. So hopefully that the Spurs can see that situation kind of 
secure it. I don't think this first team needs a dominant point guard like they used to in the past when Parker was Parker. I think they have a great offensive weapons surrounding Tony. You mentioned Kawhi. There's LaMarcus. There's Powell. Uh, Danny, when he's healthy, if he gets his shot going. So Parker just needs to now, and maybe certain Mills needs to become more of a facilitator. That's it. In the, I want to see Barry, the scoring Tony Parker. I want to see the more facilitating Parker because LaMarcus and Powell, and sometimes, yeah, maybe Danny Green, he's going to be waiting out in the wings for that pass, kick out, you know, to create the offense. If he just becomes a creator, I think the Spurs uh, could be well uh, equipped to take on the mighty Warriors. Yeah, it's, there are a lot of things that I'm wondering about with them. I haven't watched, admittedly, a ton of the Spurs in the preseason. I also don't usually glean a lot from it other than, like, if a guy's in shape. And one question just for me, seeing how Tony Parker aged last year, is whether we will see Mills overtake him either in terms of quality or actually in terms of, like, closing out games. And that would be a major change. I don't think we're going to see it, but that's something I'm going to be watching for all year. Well, I'm also expecting Pop to give him and Manu Ginobili days off throughout the season. Those two mm-hmm. players played over uh, in the summer at, at in Rio at the Olympic Games. You add this too that they also both players played in Olympic uh, qualifying games leading up to the Rio Games. So there was that. I mean, Parker played in Manila just to get Team France qualified for Rio. Manu played in exhibition games and exhibition tournaments. They had qualified, but he was still putting on miles on the knees and the legs. Then they go to Rio. Then Parker and Manu have so-so deep runs out in the Olympic tournament. Then they get bounced. Then they come to Spurs training camp. Then they go through the preseason. So I expect Pop to really, really monitor their minutes, and uh, which is good, which is good because I think the Spurs have the horses around them that they can – inject if Parker has a night off or two you mentioned Patty Mills if Mono Ginobili needs a couple days off yeah there's Kyle Anderson there's Jonathan Simmons there's Bryn Forbes so we'll we'll see so I like they have a good healthy mix right now but I think the Spurs team is still in, in a transition period right now post Tim Duncan so it's interesting it's fun but it's scary at the same time because this is unknown territory for spurs fans it really is usually we know what we got there's tim duncan there's parker and there's mono everything's going to revolve around them. then it turned into there's Kawhi and there's tim that defensive anchor and then there's everybody else now it's tim's gone parker and mono are a year older they look a little slower Kawhi leonard's here and all these brand new parts are in so it's definitely a transition period i wouldn't call it a complete rebuild I would call it a rebuild light. Yeah, and there is this weird parallel with the Warriors. So the the Spurs changed by, you know, subtraction and some addition. The Warriors basically changed by addition. I mean, yeah, they did lose Bogut and Azili as well, but their biggest change is incorporating somebody new into their core. And that's a different challenge too. I mean, it's more it's more common. But usually you don't have a team that is successful that adds somebody who is either their best or second best player. Like, that's just not the way this usually happens. And so that will take time, and it it always does. And so how how this all works in that intervening month or two or whatever it takes is going to be something that is – you know, whether or not you want to call it important really depends on how you see the regular season – 
but it's still going to be intellectually interesting, and that's super strange for a team that won 73 games. Right. It has um, – and you, you've been watching the Warriors, obviously, in the preseason. What have you seen and how they've been incorporating Durant? Have you, have you been seeing maybe Curry give up more shots in order for Durant to be more in tune with the system? Or maybe Draymond, he took a back seat. I mean, how have you well, been seeing how they've been incorporating him? Broadly speaking, what they've been doing is they've whoever gets an open shot can take it, and so that means that some nights it's been Clay has been the beneficiary just because they he gets left open more often since Curry and Durant just get a lot of attention. But other games in against Portland, Lillard doesn't do a particularly great job guarding Steph Curry. I think he had like 30 points at halftime, so yeah. Curry had that game. Durant, I think, had two really great preseason games, at least two that I can think of. So that's part of what makes it dangerous because the Warriors could theoretically, like they have enough offensive talent to not really have that kind of an identity. You'll always have to figure it out in crunch time. Like that is one thing that they will have to do eventually. But they can get through most of their games just kind of winging it in that sense of like playing the hot hand. Because they have enough guys who it can be to make it work. Right. Uh, one other thing too, I was going to mention, how huge was the loss of Bogut and Azili and Barnes and Barbosa? You know, is, is that, was that kind of a sting or is it something that the Warriors can recover from? It's notable in the regular season because uh-huh. Bogut was excellent defensively last year. He has his offensive foibles, but he was one of the best rim protectors in the league and he gave the Warriors, another guy who could be kind of a stability force on that end. Azili could be that too, but he missed so much time due to injury. So they're going to miss him a lot there. But one of the problems that Steve Kerr had, immensely successful coach, deserved coach of the year last year. But one of the problems he has is that he generally treats the small lineups as like their, as like their break glass in case of emergency. Mm-hmm. When they could use them more aggressively. So one of the ideas is that the Warriors should go to those kinds of setups more frequently in the playoffs. They just shouldn't do it in the regular season because there's no point. But in the playoffs, you know, maybe they should start like they did at the end of the finals when they won the title. Instead of starting a center, you start Draymond at center and just roll with it for five to ten minutes, you know, as long as it'll work. And Kerr liked having Bogut out there as kind of a security blanket. And then even when Bogut got hurt, they were generally still playing in their traditional center with those lineups, and it just didn't work because those guys weren't as good. So if you are working under this idea that Kerr is going to want to do the same thing, then it's a bad thing because as as good as Pachulia and West can be, they're not the same guy. They're just mm-hmm. they have different strengths, they have different weaknesses. But if it nudges Kerr to the direction he should have gone in the first place, then it could be really bad for the rest of the league. Because if the Warriors in the let's say in the conference finals and the NBA finals play lineups with Draymond at center thirty plus minutes a game, I think it's pretty close to lights out. Like that there isn't a way that any current NBA team has to stop a lineup that is Curry, Clay Iguodala, or if they want to try one of their other wings, Durant and Green. Like that's just it's just too much offensive talent, and it's it's like it's not even like a video game lineup because you couldn't create that in video game unless you just screwed with the rosters, and so that will be something with this team is just how often do they break that out, and we'll have to see. 
God, when you were just listing and rattling off the players right now, I just like sank in my seat. I'm like, oh my God, that's right. Iguodala's there. <laughs> I forget what uh, well, so, yeah. so, so here's a crazy thing. So I was talking about this with somebody at the game, the Warriors' last preseason game, is that when they go to that lineup, everybody's still workshopping a name for it. Clay Thompson is the worst dribbler and passer of that group. Mm-hmm. And Clay Thompson, you know, he's not bad. In yeah, any he's way, not bad. Exactly. Like, it's not his strength, but there aren't many teams that can pull out a lineup that is legitimate in terms of defense. Like, you know, that it's not like, Oh, we're just playing our five smallest guys. You know, like, of course a lot of teams could get good offensive lineups there, but just the level of overall skill. Like I wrote, I wrote, I've written before that one of the big things with this Warriors team that is completely different from almost any other team in NBA history is that when they go to those small lineups, they play five guys that can grab a defensive rebound and dribble all the way down the court at full speed like and, and make a good decision. So they can grab and go with five guys at the same time. And so what that means is you can treat rebounding differently. You can do a lot of other stuff. And so we don't know how much they're going to push the envelope with that and how much, what they're going to do this season. But they're so compelling because they could do things that nobody's ever seen before. We don't yeah. know if they will, but they could. That's right. You know, There's one commonality that the Warriors and the Spurs share is that they were left scratching their heads in the offseason wondering what is up with Jason Terry calling Clay Thompson and Kawhi Leonard a B-side player. I mean, what is wrong with Jason Terry? Yeah, I mean, guys say things. You know, that's just that's just the way it is. And uh, Oh, and, and kudos to, and kudos to uh Clay Thompson for coming to Kawhi's defense on that. Well, I, I think you see a lot of these guys like it's Clay is a good example of this, who like they know what they're seeing. And they're not. They have no problem. They have no problem being honest about it. And so yeah. they're going to call a spade a spade, and that's what they should do. You know, like that. That is the way that this should work. And you know, at this, at a certain point, and this is true of some of the other stuff. Like, I just don't concern myself with it because it doesn't affect anything. Yeah. Like, unless unless Clay or Kawhi says that it, oh, it affects the way that they're training or whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to care. That's just yeah. the way. That's just the way it is for me. You know, there is enough substantive material for us to talk about and to work through that i'm not going to concern myself with what jason terry says about it yeah i guess it strikes a bigger chord with the spurs spurs fan base because terry has been a nemesis for yeah. uh, san antonio yeah. for a long yeah, for the, long for the, long for time for the warriors he's been yeah. more just like a guy around on vanquish teams because he was on those rockets teams that yeah. weren't even a thorn in the warrior sides i mean other than clay getting that super weird concussion in the conference finals last year two years ago yeah, but the, the yeah fan... i mean it this is what it is. Yeah, the fan base has been dealing with uh, Terry for years when during his Mavericks days when that yeah. rivalry was at its peak. So uh, it, Jason Terry just has to say anything about San Antonio and he'll rile up the entire Spurs world of fans. Okay, Lou, before we put a bow on this show, uh, prediction time. How do you see tonight's game going down? I think the Warriors win maybe high single digits, low double digits. So like, you know, it's close enough that they have to compete almost the whole way through. But then, you know, it's not like we're hanging on the last shot. I'm going to go with the Spurs eke out a win. I'm talking by the hair of their teeth. Uh, Some sort of um, competitive game throughout the entire one through three quarters. Fourth, then it becomes more of a... They score, Warriors score, Spurs score, Spurs take a three-point lead, Warriors come back and get a four-point lead. I think it's going to be nip and tuck down that stretch, but I think somehow, someway, Popovich schemes 
and pulls out some sort of rabbit out of his magic hat, and the Spurs eke out a win by one or two points. I think that would give both of us more material than what I said. <laughs> you know, I hope you know. No, I mean, hey, look, you know, I, I, you know, yes, we work together in the same uh, network, but that would be great if it's a game like that where we can come back and be like, okay, what just happened? You know, yeah, I mean, we'll, especially we'll see, especially but... with, without Danny, if if it, if it goes down like that without Danny, then that would probably have to concern you. Like, wait a minute, one of their better def- perimeter defenders was not there, and they won. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's the the fun of the fun of the early part of the season is that you get to learn things, but nothing's definitive because there's still so much time for everything to resolve. But it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Real quick, how's David West, the former Spur? How's he been doing uh, integrating into the Warriors? He's done all right. You know, yeah. I think he's so he's playing a different role for the Warriors because they've been playing him a lot at center. And so offensively, that's great for him. He's getting basically all the shots he wants, and he seems very happy with that. But defensively, it's a different job, and he's not as adept at that as being more of a like because he, you know, when you're a, when you're a center, you need to be trying to deter shots at the rim, and you know, it's kind of the way the way the mechanics of it are a little bit different. And he's not all the way there yet, but there's still time. And right. you know, he he has a very a very kind of limited role, if you want to say it, with this team. So. He, as long as he works at it a little bit, I think he'll be fine. All right, Warriors fans, Spurs fans, what do you think about the game that's going to go down tonight later on in Oracle? Email me at jeffgarcia74 at gmail.com. Love to hear what you have to say about the Spurs taking on the two-time the West defense, defending champs, Golden State Warriors. Danny, uh, what about you? Well, you can you can. There are a lot of things you can do with me. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Danny Larue. I write for I write for like four outlets, so it's easy. But I, if you follow me on Twitter at Danny Larue, D A N N Y L E R O U X. And then also for those people, Spurs fans, Warriors fans alike, uh, we'll definitely do a dunked on basketball podcast after this game. And so because Nate and I are both going to be there, so we're going to do. We don't know how detailed a breakdown will be because it depends on how good a game it is. But we'll do something on that as well. And then of course, locked on Warriors. That's right, Lockdown Warriors is right. And as well here, Lockdown Spurs on the audioboom.com. Search Lockdown Network, and then you'll see all the teams from NBA to NFL, PGA, Big Ten, Big 12, whatever. It's all there for every sports fan's delight. Every sport is represented on the Lockdown Podcast Network. But for Danny LaRue, I'm Jeff Garcia. We're going to put a lock on this episode of Lockdown Spurs. <laughs>